Hello, and welcome to Taiwan Talk. I'm today's host, Trevor Tordomasi. This week, we're taking a look at how far we've come since the coronavirus pandemic first landed in Taiwan, as far as we can tell, on January 21st, 2020. Taiwan has been preparing itself for an epidemic ever since the establishment of its Central Epidemic Command Center after the 2004 SARS outbreak. But even so, many of us couldn't have expected a year like 2020. Today, I'm speaking with Douglas Habecker, who is not only a survivor of COVID-19, but was also one of the only 799 human beings to be diagnosed with the disease last year in Taiwan. Doug, thanks for taking the time to chat with me today. How are you doing today? Oh, uh, doing well, Trevor. Thank you. So, uh, do you remember when and where exactly you first caught the coronavirus? Well, yeah, it was very specific, but I obviously didn't find out about, I didn't single this out until later on. But as it turned out, I, I was um, hosting uh, four friends uh, visiting from the United States just about three days before I started to come down with my first symptoms of COVID-19. But uh, at the time, they just came to visit for a, a day trip. From where now? They, uh, from Seattle, actually. They wanted to come down and see Taichung. And so I certainly welcomed them to visit. And I spent the day showing them around the city in my car. <laughs> so I think that, uh, you know, we were at very close quarters. And, you know, they were, they seemed all healthy. Uh, but I do remember that on the, that evening, we were having dinner together. And one of my friends of those four uh, was complaining to his wife that he didn't feel well. He felt chills and he, he just felt under the weather. And uh, no one really thought much of it. I think we all assumed he was coming down with a cold or something. And, uh, and then I didn't think anything more of it until much later in the hospital when I was trying to pinpoint, my doctor and I were trying to pinpoint how on earth I might have gotten infected with COVID-19, given the fact that I had not traveled overseas or anywhere else. And so uh, that was the point of infection as was established later on. Do you know where they got it from? Yeah, and again, that came out later uh, after I contacted them in, in from my hospital room and asked them if they were okay. And then to my alarm and my doctor's alarm, uh, found turned out all three of them had gotten sick with something, and even they didn't know it at the at the point. But then within 24 hours of me contacting them, it turned out that my friend, the first one who had gotten sick, his mother back in Seattle had been diagnosed with COVID-19, and he had seen her and spent a little bit of time with her just before coming to Taiwan. That is, so that, that that is crazy. That is crazy. The transmission chain there. Yeah, it almost seems like it was so long ago that you might be able to trace it back to its origins at that point. Yeah, I think they, I, I, later on I asked them, and I, I think they thought that she got it maybe from perhaps one of her, her grandchildren or something like that. I, I didn't go much further than that. Well, what was uh, your experience during the onset? Well, uh, as I noted, I w it was about three days later after I uh, spent time with my friends, um, and I was sitting in my office uh, at work, and uh, I remember it was right around 6 o'clock in the evening, and suddenly I was just really hit with uh, chills and uh, just an extreme sense of fatigue and a little bit of a headache. And So I remember just going home and taking a hot shower and, and uh, you know, taking it easy the next day. And then I seemed to actually feel better. I, I thought, oh, okay, well, I've, you know, whatever it was has gone away. But then uh, in the, the next in a day or two after that, it seemed to come back again. And then it was accompanied by um, kind of a nagging cough, uh, kind of a dry cough and a little bit of fever sometimes at night. And probably one of the most distinctive symptoms was uh, everything started to taste really strange, like I didn't lose my sense of taste, but it was like I had an altered sense of taste so that everything I ate just started to taste really unappetizing. I just didn't feel like eating anymore to the point where 
it was almost like I had a hard time eating more than once or twice a day. Just nothing tasted good. But it was not until about midweek, the week after, that I started coughing up a little bit of blood. <laughs> that I, uh, I thought, okay, this, there's something wrong here, really wrong here. This isn't just a normal cold. So that's when I decided to go to the hospital and get checked out. What uh, day was that again? I, I saw my friends, uh, kind of a timeline. I saw my friends on a Monday. Uh, I started feeling sick on around a Thursday uh, evening. And then uh, it was the following week, I believe it was a Wednesday or Thursday, that I finally went to the hospital emergency and room and said, I, I need to get checked. This was in February of 2020? Uh, yeah, it was at, right at the end of, very end of February. And uh, yeah, and of course, this stretched into early March. When you got to the hospital, how did the doctors initially react? And how did that change over time? Well, I felt kind of silly because, you know, you, you, you walk into a hospital room, or emergency room, and you say, I, I, I think I have COVID-19, or can you test me for COVID-19? And and I think the hospitals had a procedure for dealing with that. Uh, in this case, they, they asked me a bunch of questions. They said, well, have you traveled recently? Have you gone anywhere? What, where your whereabouts been? What, who have you become in contact with? Uh, and I said, no, I haven't traveled. And so they said, well, you know, you, you don't really fit the profile for COVID-19 because at the time there was no real local transmission going on. And so um, the main thing was after waiting there for a few hours, they came back and said, well, your x-ray looks, your lungs look cloudy. I think that was the term they used. And so we want you to spend, you know, a few, two or three days in the hospital, perhaps, uh, so we can observe you and just see what's wrong because there's something going on with your lungs. They also rightfully said, we want you to stay in a private room because we don't quite know what's going on. And so just so you don't infect anyone else. And during this whole time, were you watching the news? I mean, I feel like there were obviously many people who were very prepared for this, medical professionals included. But from the layman's perspective, a lot of the populace, it felt like, it was just this far away concept of this dangerous disease, but we couldn't have imagined maybe that it would get to us so fast. So when you right. were watching the news, how did how did that feel? Well, you know, I, of course, I was watching some of the news and, and aware of, you know, people were starting to get con very concerned in Taiwan and elsewhere about this. I mean, this was late February, early March. And um, but I do remember even friends when one had worked in the hospital and said, you know, the chances of you having COVID-19 are just minuscule. I mean, there's, there's got to be something else. But, um, you know, the moment that my friends came back and said they had gotten sick and then, of course, these friends had visited from Seattle uh, that kind of set off the alarm bells with my doctor and everybody else. And I mean, I remember even before I had tested, uh, I mean, they immediately gave me a COVID-19 test at that point, but they didn't, they didn't mess around. I know the city government, their health bureau and, and everybody else, they immediately ordered the hospital to move me into a negative pressure isolation room. And I noticed that the, um, the nurses and everybody else, you know, they were wearing masks before, but they went into full PPE, you know, personal protective equipment mode. Now, my first test didn't come back. It came back as a what they call a weak positive. And so they wanted to double check. And so they gave me a second test and then that came back positive. So then within roughly 24 to 36 hours, it was firmly established that I had COVID-19. And you, at some point, saw Chen Shizhong say, talk about you on the news as well? Yeah. Yeah, that was kind of surreal, right? Because, I, you know, I was watching the daily updates from Chen Shizhong and, every, and the CECC on TV. Um, you know, I knew that was going to be on the t television. I was curious as to how it was covered. And, uh, you know, to hear him announce the, the, the 50th case and, you know, this Weigor and this foreigner, you know, who, who, who has it. Yeah, it was just kind of unreal to hear about, to see that and think, wow, that's he's talking about me, you know. So looking back on all this, has the pandemic 
changed the way you look at interpersonal contact? Yeah, it has. I mean, I I have to say that before, you know, getting COVID-19 in those early, you know, in January, um, and of course, most of February, of course, I I wore a mask when I had to, where it was required on public transportation and things like that. But I was kind of, I kind of was one of those that felt like, well, we don't really have to worry too much. Taiwan's really safe. So I was a little bit relaxed about that. But I think that after that, of course, it changed me completely. I think it was mainly because of my desire to protect others. And I think that's a big difference between the mindset of Taiwan and, and say, for example, a lot of many Westerners who seem to have the mindset that a mask is, you know, I'm not sick, so therefore I don't need to wear a mask. But I think it's more the idea that that you're doing it for society. You're you doing it for somebody else. Wait, so, wait, so, so that you know when that someone else doesn't infect, you're doing it so that on that off chance that you might have it, perhaps even be asymptomatic, you don't want to take the chance of infecting somebody else. I'm always thinking in terms of contact tracing, and Taiwan's done a wonderful job of that. But I'm always thinking, what if, you know, I got sick, and then you would have to go back and think, well, did you wear a mask this time? Where were you? Who did you come into contact with? and all that kind of stuff. And, and that's always in, kind of spinning through my mind, you know, which is a, obviously something I wasn't thinking about before I got sick. Right, so yeah, I mean, yeah. It's one of those things. You don't, want, you don't want Chen Shizhong to go on the television and talk about the contact tracing and say, this foreigner went to McDonald's five times and, right, and right, Costco. Right. Now, of course, obviously, a lot of people, that you know, we still see that in the news. Sometimes people don't know they're sick and they go out. But to be able to step back and say, okay, I, I was sick and I did come into contact, but... I took my precautions. You know, I, I did what I could to protect other people, even though I didn't know I was sick at the time. I think that's the thing that I would always want to feel, you know, that, you know, even if I have, even when I go downstairs to take out the garbage from my apartment building and I'm in the elevator, if I just, even if I put my, just have my mask on in the elevator for those, you know, that few seconds, I can say, okay, I took those precautions while I was doing that, even though it's such a small, you know, little task. So I think I think that makes a difference, and I think I think a lot of Taiwanese they, they have that mindset now too, thanks to the government's constant reminders on you know on TV and everywhere else that this is important. Um, do you feel stronger or safer knowing that you've already overcome COVID nineteen? You know that's an interesting question because um, obviously immediately after getting out, um, you know I was I was feeling pretty good, you know because there there is at least a, a short term resistance or immunity to a virus when you've caught it. I did not I think ever assume that I would have long term immunity. I mean everything I had read about the coronavirus. I remember asking my doctor about this, and she simply said, "You know, I, I we don't really know." You know, which is true. Nobody has a firm answer on that. So I don't know, but I'm not assuming I have any sort of immunity. Whereas I, I have to add that, you know, you read a lot about these. Um, more and more so around the world about what they call these long haulers, people who have had COVID-19 and and just continue to have symptoms and sometimes very bad symptoms. And, uh, you know, one of my friends uh, that infected me, his wife, in fact, who was part of that group, um, I recently contacted her and uh, she said she still does not have her sense of taste or smell back. So oh, that's, you know, that's kind of heartbreaking. Yeah, it's terrible. I mean, I can't imagine that. And I've, I've read about this from other people, too. It's you know, it can actually have a, you know, a psychological impact on somebody when you can't taste and smell anything. So, and there's many, many other symptoms. So, first of all, I consider myself very, very fortunate in that regard. I think it's encouraged me to live an even, even healthier lifestyle, just the basics, you know, make sure you get exercise, you know, eat right, get the right amount of sleep, you know, and, and all those things. 
I think in Taiwan, too. I mean, obviously, Taiwan has done such a marvelous job. I think I can speak better than most in terms of the, the you know, personally to the, the wonderful level of care that I received here. I always was confident in Taiwan's health care and its ability to react and, and treat patients, but this has raised it even further, having personally experienced it. And just to see Taiwan come through this to date so far, thus far, with flying colors. And uh, hopefully, you know, Taiwan continues to get recognition for that and uh, is able to contribute uh, globally to this ongoing battle. I imagine closer to the end of 2021 or even maybe next year, we'll have to start presenting vaccination records or something before we get on planes. Maybe that's mm-hmm. just that's just speculation. But what would right. need to change before you personally are ready to travel again? You know, that's a great question. I, I feel like... Um my family's back in the United States, and I haven't seen them. I mean, my parents, and, you know, I've thought about that. I mean, that's obviously, I'm sure many, everyone has. And, um, you know, having had COVID-19 already once and, and not <laughs> being too eager to get it again and not knowing, you know, of course, any taking for granted any sort of immunity, I, I think it would it would have to be having had the vaccination and being fairly confident that the vaccination had reached a certain level of prevalence among travelers and others. You know, I, I told somebody six months ago that I think I could see it coming to a point where everyone needs to have like, um, I don't know what you would call, I guess some people are calling it a vaccination passport or something where anyone who gets on a plane or travels has to present this. And, and maybe on top of that, even take some sort of um, quick result test to, to double check that. Because as we know, obviously, from Taiwan's case, you can show up and say, well, I've been tested negative, but it doesn't mean that you're actually negative. It could mean that the test was no good or wrong. Or, yeah. Um, um, you know, the bigger challenge for Taiwan is, of course, there's constantly people coming and going. I mean, that it's just the way you have to deal with it. Um, uh, you've got you, even with the current restrictions, you still have Taiwanese returning from from you know China and other countries, and uh, and that's their right, and uh, the government has to make you know has to make provisions for that. And then of course you have a very small but but still continuing limited number of foreign travelers, whether they be foreign contract workers or business people. And you know Taiwan is a global economic power. You can't just completely shut your doors. You've, you've got to make some provision for this. So I think Taiwan will, will continue to have these challenges. But um, again, I'm, I'm confident they can deal with that. Um, yeah. Is there anything else you wish to say uh, to people in Taiwan in general? Yeah, I think, um, I just think uh, stay safe and, and take precautions. Uh, I think the biggest risk that Taiwan has is perhaps complacency, not so much by government authorities, but by everyday people. I think things are so good in Taiwan compared to other countries that it's easy to kind of sit back and say, ah, it doesn't matter. And I don't think that those people represent the majority of the people here. I think most people here are very safe. But I think the main thing is Taiwanese need to um, maintain this, this great situation they have by being vigilant and taking the proper precautions for others as much as themselves. Yeah, keep up the good work, essentially, but but stay vigilant. Yeah, exactly. Um, All right, as we finish up, uh, where can people find your work, if you'd have anything to plug or that you'd like to say? 
Well, I, a lot of people have read my articles I've written on my account. I mean, if, if someone wants to read this in further detail... I'll link actually, to your Taipei Times article in the uh, in the description. Okay. Ironically, I mean, I, I run a magazine in Taichung, but it's a city guide magazine, so I did not write... I don't cover that kind of information. We're, we're more <laughs> about where to go, what to do. So, uh, so, yeah, you would not find any COVID-19 accounts in my own publication. All right, great. Well, thank you so much, Doug, for taking the time to talk with me. And uh, and thank you, listeners, for tuning into Taiwan Talk. Until next time, I'm Trevor Tortomasi on ICRT FM 100.